Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and as I often do, a little preview of what's coming up. Later on for our inbox, a listener is struggling with how the Bible calls singleness a gift and refers to it as that in certain circumstances. So the listener is saying, hey, this feels more like suffering, but how can this listener reconcile this dilemma? Well, I'm going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Tavares Gray is back with us. You probably remember that we had him and his wife Safa on a few months back to talk about their book, Godly Dating 101. Well, he is back today to discuss pursuing purity in preparation for marriage, specifically around the mind and the heart and sexual purity. So you don't want to miss that. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and I have got Austin, John, and Kristen here. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey. Hey, Lisa. Good to have you. Okay, and we are going to talk about dun-dun-dun, prayer. Okay. Whoa, that was really bad. I sounded really negative. (laughs) Okay. Prayer is a great thing, and it is something that anyone can talk about and generally feel like we don't do it enough. We don't do it well enough. We don't know what we're doing. We don't think other people do prayer well. We <laughs> wonder if prayer is actually effective. So this is something I feel like we could talk about forever and always feel like there's something left to learn. And so I want to talk about specifically prayer for just that average Christian, the person who's at church, who's praying personally, who's praying corporately, praying in groups with friends. So let's start off by talking a little bit about your personal history with prayer. Have you always been comfortable with praying? Did you have to actually learn how to pray? Were you that like, I can pray by myself, but not in front of people? What, uh, what has the journey looked like for you? I definitely felt like I had to learn how to pray. I, I've been a Christian since I was seven or eight, but then I don't think I really learned how to pray till senior year of high school. So that the year before, uh, the girl I was I was dating actually uh, attempted suicide while we were dating. Mm. And then I was probably 17, did not know how to emotionally deal with that. Mm-hmm. So a year passed, and I'd just totally been stuffing it down. And by the end of that year, I was would just get angry at everything, so much so I remember almost getting in fights all, a couple of times. And I got so frustrated with it, and I was telling my mentor about it, and he came up with the genius advice, well, why don't you just pray about it? Mm. And I thought, wow, that, I mean, you couldn't come up with anything else that's actually useful and, <laughs> and <laughs> in the moment. And then, but I just decided to try it. And the best context that I had had for prayer at that point was going to Christian summer camp mm. where they would get all the guys, we'd go out in the woods and, and then they would do potato cannons and blow up TVs and just... <laughs> just do all this mayhem and then we would sit down and we would pray and have bible time Hmm. so i thought i'll do that by myself so i would took (laughs) i would take like a machete or a knife or a bow and arrow or whatever into the woods this is not prescriptive this is taking a dark turn (laughs) and i would just uh beat up some trees Mm -hmm. and then yell and just tell god exactly what i was feeling and actually physically demonstrate that and until i got my energy out and then I would just calm down and sit and pray and, and be with the Lord. Hmm. And that actually turned out to be a, a really helpful thing where I was getting my body involved in, in expressing what what I was feeling to the Lord. Okay. And that's a, eventually how the Lord taught me how to how to emotionally process with him. It reminds me of 
Uh, Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So that's really what I was just doing was pouring out my heart before the Lord. Hmm. That's good. So I also grew up in a Christian home. And honestly, for as long as I can remember, my parents were people of prayer. And so it was honestly very natural for me. But I think something that I struggled with pretty early on in my walk with God, I was probably about 11 when I really got serious about my relationship with Jesus, is I knew a lot of the right things to say, and I was pretty good with words, and I tried really hard to be impressive with people Mm -hmm. or around people with my prayers. Mm -hmm. And so I got a lot of, um, I guess you could say, affirmation in what people would say about me early on in my walk with God. and. Lots of people would come up and say, man, John really knows how to pray. But that honestly became a pride thing early on in middle school. And over time, I think I had to learn that, honestly, God just wants my heart. And I've learned to be much more authentic in my prayer time since then. But that was something that I I was around it so much. And so I, I struggled a lot with thinking that I was maybe more spiritual than people because I prayed so much. Yeah, interesting. Mine's very different. I wasn't a believer until um, mid-high school, so a lot of the prayers I prayed was before I was a believer, Um, and that's a really key part of having a healthy prayer life is um, being a Christian. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I had some struggles that were unrelated to anything other than I was not saved. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also grew up in a Christian home, and my parents would pray, you know, before meal or before we'd have quiet time or um, at night you know, in various contexts, but I never saw those personal prayers modeled. It was always just the corporate general kind of prayers, you know, a pastor's about to teach. So they say, speak through me. And Mm -hmm. if anything, if you don't want me to say anything, then let it fall away. Right. That's always what they say. And so I knew these general prayers, but I didn't have an example of um, a personal prayer. And so I had a really hard time doing that, I would just complain. Mm -hmm. It was just a prayer of complaint. Like, Lord, this is horrible. These people hate me. I hate them. And I'm okay with that because I wasn't saved. And (laughs) I don't even want to change. And all right, because I wasn't saved. And so it just was this really unhealthy, like I was just complaining and venting to the Lord and I had no posture of humility. Um, And then after I got saved, that's when obviously things started to change by the power of the spirit. Um, And I've just learned a lot more sense and um my prayers are more still honest but i do have to censor them a little bit still Mm -hmm. like he is still a holy god and he already knows how i feel but prayer is not the place for me to um be in sin Mm. okay yeah it's interesting because as i was thinking about this probably my first experiences with prayer were in corporate prayer because i remember going you know my family was kind of like we were just always at church my parents had been missionaries and then my dad a pastor My parents often led prayer meetings, you know, and so there was kind of like John's experience, this assumption that the real Christians go to every prayer meeting and they're going to lead in prayer. They're going to be. But I remember being not an auditory learner when we got into corporate prayer and it's just one person after another. I was like oh my word, how long is this going to go on? All of a sudden, I'm like trailing off. I'm like, did someone just pray? Did they just pray the same thing I was going to pray? You know, and (laughs) and it got so like weirdly, I would get really angsty about it, you know, of it just being kind of the thing that had to to happen. Um, I found that personal prayer, 
is a lot more attainable to me because it's been more freeing and that I'm a really bottom line person. So I'll find myself a lot of times now just being like, Lord, here's the deal. This is, <laughs> I just kind of put it like yep. bottom line. So I feel the comfortable, like to, to be comfortable and not being super flowery is a great thing in, in personal prayer in that sense. So that's helpful. But all right. Have you guys seen um, any challenges like when you pray, like to that point, praying in community, like, did you guys have to grow in? I mean, clearly John had to because he was all just doing it for show before. So <laughs> he had to humble himself, you know, that's it, or else God had to. No, but but any like weird, just angst about worrying about what other people were praying, what they were thinking about you, how, what does it look like for you now to pray with others? Do you find that meaningful? What you described just a second ago was so me too. Mm-hmm. I would, all, I would be praying and I would be so conscious of what are the people around me thinking about my prayer? What are, what did they pray? Or I can't repeat the same prayer. And, <laughs> yeah. but I, well, something... Andrew's like, are we going to pray for every missionary that has ever been in this church? Come exactly. on now. Come, Cause I got stuff to do in four hours. Okay. Uh-huh, right. Yeah, no, it's, it was stressful. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I would hear some people probably a lot like John who could pray scripture and they'd be <laughs> quoting scripture as they're yeah. praying. And I'm like, Oh man, I got to come up with my own scripture verse too. Oh my word. Yeah, and... Your own scripture. <laughs> I'm like getting anxiety even hearing you recount this. Like, this yeah. Is, yeah. But something that helped me shift that is if I really believed that God was in the room or I was in his throne room and I was talking directly to him, I would not care at all like what human beings next to me were thinking about what I was saying to him. I would only be praying to please him, to relate to him. And so something that helps me with that was just acknowledging his presence there of saying, let me just take a moment and be quiet and listen and, and say, wow, you're really here, God. And okay, now I can just talk to you Mm -hmm. maybe about these people and concerning some things that we've already talked about, but less, self-conscious or focused on what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. One of the things that I still struggle with even today is my coworkers will all tell you that I, I enjoy laughing a lot. <laughs> and so sometimes in the middle of a corporate prayer setting, I don't want this to come across as making fun of anybody, but people will sometimes repeat words a lot mm-hmm. in the middle of prayer. Mm-hmm. I remember one time in particular, I was at this barbecue event in South Carolina when I was growing up and this guy got up to pray and he was, he seemed sincere, but he said the phrase Lord God so much to a point that I was so incredibly distracted to the mm-hmm. point I was biting my lip. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was really funny in mm-hmm. that setting that this guy was just, and he didn't even notice that he was doing it. And mm-hmm. so I think that a challenge that I have to remember is, hey, be focused on the other people who are in this setting. Because when you are praying in a group, you have to remember that there's other people there and somebody might really get their feelings hurt if you bust out laughing, even if it is funny, Mm -hmm. just to remind myself, okay, wait a minute. They are really trying to talk to God. I need to be respectful of where they're at. And if I can help it, Mm -hmm. not bust out laughing. (laughs) That's good. Good self-control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing about corporate prayer is that I think it is also useful for the edification of the body, and it's for encouragement for other people. And so when I'm praying, if I had a bad day and I 
felt sick or whatever it is that I would just like to chat with God about. That may not be the context in the setting, even if that's how I'm feeling. And a lot of times the way that God's been using prayer in my life recently is, okay, Lord, these are the things that I know about you that are true. And they're always true because you never change and your word never lies. And so these are scriptures that you've been putting on my heart. Thank you for being faithful in those ways. And that's kind of what my corporate prayers typically look like. And then my personal prayers are like very, very different because it is it is a space of intimacy with God that the whole body or the whole small group doesn't necessarily need mm-hmm. to see or be a part of. Yeah, that's good. What would you guys say, um, you know, just as far as like when you think of praying and the prayers that really have been where you feel like there's been connection and growth and, and real meaning behind them, what does that look like for you? What are some good learnings you've had around prayer as far as like applying prayer both personally and in group settings? I think for me, as I learn more about how I think, that was very, really helpful. I'm, it really helps me think to write out my thoughts. Mm. And as I write out one thought, then I notice something differently versus if I had said it out loud or even just thought it. And so those, those prayers where I'm so struggling to even figure out what I'm feeling or figure out what I even want to say to God, if I write, write it out, it'll just flow naturally. And I think that's just based off of how just the way that I think. So I would, I would say, take a look at yourself, what naturally helps you think through things or process things or, um, learn like you were talking about and apply that to the way that you talk to God. Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier that I had to learn to be more authentic. And one of the moments that really helped me do that was actually, the very day that I was flying out to go visit my mom as she was passing away from cancer, I got my Bible out of my backpack and I was reading the Psalms and I literally just prayed underneath my breath. I'm like, Jesus, I cannot handle this right now. I really need you to come through and just talk to me. Mm -hmm. And my Bible reading that day happened to be Psalm 77, Mm. which is all about God meeting us in our mourning and in our questioning. Mm -hmm. And that was literally such a breakthrough moment for me because I realized in the one of the lowest points of my life emotionally, God met me right there. Mm -hmm. And he was so faithful to come through. So I think um, learning to be authentic is a wonderful, wonderful way to really just connect with God. And also reading the Psalms helped me to realize God can handle my deepest emotions, Mm -hmm. even the ones that I'm not meant to carry. Mm -hmm. He can handle them when I give them to him. Yeah. And even um, Psalm 77, 19 is one of my favorites because it's such a good reminder of why we pray and how God works in prayer. You know, they're recounting the Israelites going through the Red Sea. And it says, Mm -hmm. there's a phrase in there that says, his way was through the mighty water, though his footprints were unseen. And I think that's Mm -hmm. such a great example of God is always working. Isn't it John Piper that says, you know, God's probably doing 10,000 things in your life at one time and you're aware of three of them. And so that's a good reminder for why we pray and how we can be confident in prayer. In college, we had Donald Whitney, who's a professor at a seminary, come and talk to our group uh, over the weekend one time about praying the scriptures. And he has a book called Praying the Bible. So it's very clear about what the t- <laughs> mm-hmm. what it's going to be about. But it was a really cool session. And at the end of it, he primarily focused on how to pray the Psalms because those are naturally a prayer mm-hmm. already. Um, but at the end, he said, okay, now go pick a Psalm, 
go by yourself and we're going to be quiet for a few minutes. And I remember I got through half of one verse and he said, okay, well that's time. And we'd been away secluded for seven minutes. I was like, it only, it took me seven minutes to get halfway through one verse. And so that was super cool to learn that prayer is supposed to be a conversation between us and the Lord. So we need to learn to pause and wait and listen to hear what he has to say, but also his scripture is his word to us already. Um, and so learning how to use scripture to pray has been really really encouraging. And like I said earlier, you know, we see God's character all throughout scripture. And so, um, and we see his promises throughout scripture. So when I'm praying, I'm able to remember, okay, well, this is who he is. And this is what he said. These are the things I can cling to. And that's super helpful. Um, But then another thing that I've been learning more recently um, that he's been teaching me is that prayer is just intimacy with the whole triune God, right? We're entering into the throne room of God, the father. We are there not dead because of the righteousness that's been given to us by the son and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And so when I approach prayer from that, from that perspective, it is so much more life-giving because it feels so much less like a chore and so much more like a blessing. Mm -hmm. And in Revelation, it talks about the prayers of the saints are as an incense to the Lord. And it's like, this is a fragrant offering to him is my prayers. And in Philippians, he says, bring everything to me with thanksgiving. But like, that's a command and that's something that honors him. And so that has made my perspective of prayer just so much richer. And I'm less, it feels so much less like a drudgery Mm -hmm. and knowing that I have freedom to, you know, he, I miss the rain and then it rains one day and I'm like, Oh my gosh, Lord, you're just so (laughs) nice to me, you know, and that's my (laughs) prayer and that's all it is. Um, but just, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's funny. I feel like I've mentioned many times on the show, a book that was very formative for me and I actually only read it several years ago. It is titled a praying life by Paul Miller. Uh, I'm a big fan of that book because I feel like for me, it made prayer attainable. He talks a lot about our posture before God in prayer of being little children. And if you were a toddler and you were asking a parent for stuff, you don't come with flowery language and some kind of formalities. You know, like I used to get so hung up on when people would say, well, you have to pray that acronym ACTS, you know, Mm -hmm. so start with adoration, then you better do confession and then you better. And I'm like, I just have a bunch of stuff that I want. And so I just want to get to that, you know, and it was like (laughs) so selfish. But Paul Miller is very like, you know what? you're probably a selfish being. So maybe just start with admitting that you're selfish and just be like about like, here's God, here's where I am. And I think I can't remember if it's in that book or if it's elsewhere that I heard um, the idea, which was so helpful to me of, you know, people who get all angsty about, well, I started praying, but then my mind just started wandering. And all of a sudden, I was just thinking about like the Netflix series I'm watching, or I started thinking about like the guy I want to be dating or whatever. And the encouragement is, let your mind wander because where your mind goes is probably where your heart is and what is important to you. Mm-hmm. And so then when you land on something, just put that before the Lord and just pray it out. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it feels mm-hmm. very trivial or very insignificant, it's a great way to follow, you know, kind of where your heart is leading you. And, and again, bring that under the Lordship of Christ. And I found mm-hmm. that to be a great exercise as far as that goes. And then as far as other people, I think one thing that's been super helpful for me, not necessarily in like a big church corporate setting, but praying for others. Um, 
the idea of someone sharing something with me and me stopping right there and saying, I would love to pray for you about that. And mm-hmm. I just put my hand on their shoulder and I start praying because then I can pray about that. And I don't have to feel like, you know, where John and I lived for a while, like the whole, what can I say that is going to be like super encouraging to them and throw in a scripture and be all flowery <laughs> and be all, you know, it's just like, the we're checklist. just in the grocery store. So I'm just <laughs> going to bring this out right here and we'll just get it. You know, and it's just so much more freeing and seems more immediate than getting into all the formalities of stuff. So that's just something that's been really helpful for me. So kind of here, just in our last minute, I want to put out there for you guys, what would be, can you give an example of a time where you just saw a prayer answered or something where God showed up. I mean, John alluded to this in his airplane, you know, prayer time and stuff where it was just like a crisis moment or something where you just saw like there was something that was prayed about, whether it was a while ago, whether it was immediate or whatever. And this is why prayer is effective. What would be your story around that? I guess I could tie the loop on my in the woods chaos story. <laughs> uh, Please do. So, we need to hear that. So yeah. I had been praying Lord, could you just take away my anger? Mm. I didn't realize that he was coaching me in how to process through my anger. Mm. But then one time I I had heard of this book called Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. And I'd only heard the premise of it where this guy draws a circle, gets in the circle and prays for rain and says, I won't leave until you give me rain. So not necessarily saying you should make an ultimatum (laughs) with God like that, but it it was inspiring for me to just pursue after Jesus. And so I did that. I sat in the circle and then I just waited. Then uh, I felt like I was supposed to walk towards this path. I went out there and then I got to the road and then the word, the road popped in my head. And so I was like, all right, whatever that means, tucked it away. The next night I was home alone Friday night watching Netflix or trying to find a movie on Netflix. And this movie called The Road pops up. And I thought, I have to watch it. I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it. It's very sad. It's about this dad who's bringing his son through a post-apocalyptic wasteland. At the very end, the dad is dying on the beach. The son is leaning over him saying, Dad, Dad, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do, which was also what I've been praying. And then the dad just says, just hold my hand. Mm. And in that moment, it was like the Lord was speaking through that dad as my dad saying, I'm your dad. Just hold my hand and walk with me and it'll be okay. Hmm. Cool. So my dad and I actually have a situation that we're praying through right now about somebody that we know. And we were kind of perplexed about some things that had come up recently where we were just wondering, man, what, where to from here? Um, some, it looked like that maybe some trust had been severed and such. And we were just kind of praying through the different dynamics of, man, how are we going to handle this situation moving forward? And this actually happened Tuesday night of this week where he and I were on the phone and we began to pray about it. And there was almost this deep peace that started to come in the midst of that. And we realized, wait a minute, maybe we don't know the full story yet. So it's actually something that we're still in the middle of praying for, but we realized, wait, there's a whole lot more here that God knows about that we don't know about. But I remember the conversation started off with a couple of different stressful scenarios of what if this happened or what if that happened. But then by the time we got to the end of the conversation, there was just a compassion that welled up in both of our hearts for the person we were praying for. And we realized, oh, it's going to be okay. God's got this. I've seen him come through on so many different 
times before where he's been faithful. And regardless of the outcome, we can pray knowing that, hey, he's got this and his peace will always be our sustaining joy that we need. Mm-hmm. I have examples from most trivial to very deep. But on Monday, I was at the gym and forgot a hair tie. Super dumb. Was working out for five minutes and thought, I'm not going to survive. I'm going to overheat if I don't get a hairband. And thought, I'll go search my bag one more time. And I prayed about it, hoping there'd be one in my bag or I'd find one on the floor or something, which is disgusting. Um, But I just was desperate for a hairband. And then one of my coworkers was also in the gym and was like, how's your day? And I was like, great, but I don't have a hairband. And she said, oh, well, I actually just found two in my bag and I don't even know why. And I was like, (laughs) that's the Lord. He's so kind. And like, he cares about that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Right. But then also at deeper levels, trying to find a church, um, prayed about that a lot. Moving out here, there's so, so many churches, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing, but very hard to find one, um, in a short amount of time. And I remember there was one morning I was just like, Oh Lord, you just have to tell me what church I'm supposed to go to. Cause I don't know. And I rolled over to hit snooze cause I was going to visit a different church. And I had a text message from a woman at a church that said, we have a seat saved for you and you're coming over for lunch after. So where are you? And I was like, well, you didn't have to answer it that quickly, Lord, but I guess now I know. And and then there's even slower things where I pray about it for years, mm-hmm. and then he finally answers my prayer. And it reminds me of the parable of the widow before the unjust judge, mm-hmm. and it concludes with, if the unjust judge, because of basically how annoying the widow was, was <laughs> it, like granted her request, mm-hmm. how much more so will your heavenly father, right, bring mm-hmm. about justice? And also with prayer, he desires to give us good gifts. And so I think it's helpful just to remember the compassion of our God. Yeah. Such great examples, you guys. Thank you so much. I hope that everyone who's listening is encouraged that you can just start praying, whether you, like Austin, go out in the woods, <laughs> whether you're praying on a plane, whether you're praying over hair ties, whatever it is, um, God is there. And you are, uh, to get back to Austin's initial point, walking into that throne room, into the presence of God and having a conversation. And remember, a conversation also involves listening. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you don't have to have a lot of words. You can just sit there and say, God, I need to hear from you and then see him show up. So thanks, you guys, so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. It's been great. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all who are tired and loaded down. Come to me, all who Well, folks, uh, for this week's culture segment, we are welcoming back a friend to The Boundless Show who, if you were around a few months ago, you heard for the first time. I have Tavares Gray here. Tavares, welcome back. 
Thank you for having me back on. <laughs> well, and I should say before we also had your fabulous wife, Safa, but she just happened to have a uh, work conflict today. So we're like, you know what? I guess we can just talk to Tavares. Um, even yeah, you have to settle this time. <laughs> We're we're settling for our plan B. No, I think this is totally awkward because uh, today we are literally, uh, we talked last time a lot about um, honoring God in dating, and you guys have written a book titled Godly Dating 101. You also have a very popular Instagram account. Folks can find at Godly Dating 101. Discover the truth about relationships in a world that constantly lies. And we talked a lot last time about general principles around dating, but this is why it's awkward because today we're just going to talk about sex. And so I don't know how, yeah, I know. I'm just like, okay, well, we'll talk about (laughs) sex. So why don't we just bring Tavares on? So that's, that's weird. um, But you're going to do great. So um, (laughs) anyway, because, you know, our audience, they, they love to talk about sex because we're all single and, you know, hopefully going to be married someday. Many of us aspire to that. So anyway, we got to get some wisdom from uh, people who have been there done that and are walking that out in faithfulness to the Lord. So um, anyway, so I want to jump right in here with uh, some of the questions that we have. In fact, I, I want you to kind of give an overlay before we get into specifically talking about sex and speak to the purpose of dating, because I think that helps us understand, like, why are we even doing this? Because I know I often say here on The Boundless Show, if you don't have a purpose for dating and you don't have an end goal, you're going to be in nine years of random pizza dates that aren't going to get you anywhere. And so give us your kind of uh, shed some light on what you would say should be a Christian's aim in dating and specifically pursuing sexual integrity in that process. I think um, when you're entering dating, you have to go into it with the mindset of marriage And I say that because, truth be told, a lot of people go into relationships and we're not understanding that you can be great friends with someone without building that type of intimacy. Like God designed a body that we have to function together. Whether you're dating someone married to someone or they're just a random guy or girl in your church, you serve a purpose in their life. They serve a purpose in your life. Each and every one of us, we help one another become who God has called us to be. So when you're trying to start dating, then that means you see something in them that Adding them to your life will help you become who God has called you to be. So that's why I always view dating um, when you're not willing to marry this person or you don't see traits that you want to marry this person. You're really passing time, and then now you're probably going to set yourself up for heartache or sin. You know, so my encouragement to all the singles listening is that when you're trying to go into a relationship, understand that you want it to be full of purpose. You don't want it to be full of hormones or driven by perversion or driven by I'm 30 now, I have to be dating. Do you know what I mean? And and we have to make sure that we're always remembering that whatever you do, do all in the name of Jesus Christ, do all to the glory of God. That's what the Bible tells us to do. So if you're entering a relationship, how does adding this guy or adding this woman to my life help me bring glory to God's name? And marriage is a way that we honor God. It's it's basically an earthly visual of God's love for the church. You know, so when you're entering into a relationship, God doesn't enter into a relationship with us out of boredom. It's out of covenant. It's out of purpose. It's out of meaning. And that's why I believe that when you're going into a relationship, you shouldn't just view it about how, what can I gain from it, um, but about what you can give, what you can learn, how you can grow, rather than just self-pleasure or what benefits you. 
Yeah. Well, it's so true. And it's funny how often I think a lot of Christian singles will go into dating very haphazardly. And I always say to myself, like, guys, you put a lot of intent and and even a lot of stress into interviewing for a job. And yet you approach relationships with a cavalier attitude or like, oh, if it doesn't work out. And obviously, the dating process is supposed to be exploratory. I mean, the whole point is to mm-hmm. find out, is this person someone that God might make a match for me? So you want to have your questions in place. You want to be you want to be serious about it. And actually, you know, that's why I say in the relationship, have some checkpoints along the way as well. So I think that's good. Yeah, um, that's good advice. OK, now we got to before we go any further, though, because we're going to talk about sex and about sexual purity in particular. Why do you think so many young adults feel that term is so creepy or weird? Like when they talk, you know, it becomes some kind of weird, like, you know, I don't know, some weird performance kind of thing or like what define it for us of what that actually means biblically, what God's intent for it is and why it's not just about crossing your fingers and hopefully not having sex before marriage. I think the only reason why biblical things or things that talk about purity, righteousness, holiness, the only reason why those creep us out is because when we hear about the things of God, we immediately begin thinking about what our pastor said rather than what God said. You know, and there was a time I was in church and I was scrolling through Instagram. Service hasn't started yet. I believe we're just in there praying. And I'm going on Instagram and a revealing picture pops up. And I'm like, I don't even follow these people. So I'm confused with how this pops up on my page. Like you decided to wear clothes all year, except when I opened my phone in church. And I immediately jumped off because I'm afraid somebody's going to walk by and think I'm looking up something, you know, reckless. But I got off. No one saw me and God convicted me. And he was like, you're more worried about what other people would have thought of you rather than how I would view what you're seeing on your phone. You know, so when I think people, when they view purity, when they view topics about righteousness, unfortunately, many of us, we're not viewing it from a biblical perspective. We're viewing it from a cultural perspective. So when the Bible tells us, be holy for I am holy. Now we understand it's not a matter of avoid sex. It's a matter of trying to live like Jesus. But when you hear it from society, now you're thinking about, oh, the church has too much rules. It's legalism. It's bondage. So it's very difficult to to grasp what God wants to do when I'm not listening to what God is saying, but I'm more so listening to what culture is saying. So we have to be very careful that we're not leaning our ear towards the world, but we have to lean our ear towards the Word of God. Because Purity is basically just meaning untainted. You know, you can't give someone a nice glass of cool water on a hot day when they're very dehydrated and put it in a dirty cup. It's like, dude, just let me, just no, I'd rather rather be parched. You know what I mean? I I don't even want that because it doesn't matter how refreshing the water would have been. You've given it to me in something that's dirty. And the Bible makes it clear, you know, I believe it's 2 Timothy 2, and it talks about God has vessels of honor, um, vessels of dishonor. You know, they're all tools in the master's house, but there are some that the master can use for a special occasion. And that's the pure, the pure utensil, the one that is clean, the one that can be used at any time. And if I want to be a Christian that can be used by God, I have to be careful of what I'm allowing into my spirit, not just about who I'm in bed with, but what I'm allowing into my heart, my mind, my ears, my eyes. Because if I want God to use me, I cannot allow constant things to feed my flesh and starve my spirit. You know, so I believe that. We have to understand that a biblical perspective of purity is just a person who's intimate with God emotionally, spiritually. You're allowing God to lead you rather than being driven by what culture is doing. Yeah. 
And it it seems that uh, what you're saying as far as like what we're trying to do is turn on its head this idea that sexual purity is about the list of do's and don'ts or about like, okay, well, we went this far, but at least we didn't go this far. I think that's where we start putting all these weird parameters on stuff Mm -hmm. instead of backing it up and realizing that ultimately purity starts in the head and then the heart. Yeah. And really the whole motive behind it is, do you really trust the heart of God on your behalf? Because if we really trusted God that he has good things for us, then we would just wait for marching orders. We wouldn't be all crazy about like, well, you know, I'm, I'm 25 or I'm 30 and I haven't had sex, so I better go figure this out for myself. Well, you know what, you know, who knows about that is God. And so I think, I think it is so true. We have to relook at this from a perspective of where is, where is God in this? And do we really trust him with our present and with our future? And so, um, I appreciate you saying that. Um, Okay, well, I do want to get into um, the idea of, you know, really fighting for this while we are dating, because that's another, I think, cultural misconception that a lot of people have put on this. And again, we are not saying here that, oh, my word, if you have gone too far in a relationship and you have had sex, well, you know, throw in the towel because God doesn't have any purpose for you. We're not saying that God is so much bigger than this, you guys. And we could point to a number of scriptures that talk about um, his redemption of his people, about bringing beauty from ashes, about what that looks like and using brokenness in our stories. That said, uh, Tavares, I would love for you to talk about what it looks like to actually fight for purity and honoring God while you are dating. Um, in fact, I know that you list two practical ways uh, in the book of doing that. Um, you talk about literally spending time with God and then avoiding the ungodly influences of the world. Can you speak to those a little bit? Um, so specifically, you're saying how do we fight for purity? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, for one, I love the way you word that because it's literally a fight. Um, because a lot of people, we, we don't have a hard time cutting off pornography. We have a hard time cutting off shows with the sexual innuendos, you know, the small little subtle little comments. They're not showing them due to action, but they're implying it. They're making jokes about it, you know, things like that. That's where a lot of Christians struggle, you know, so we have to understand that you cannot win a fight that you're not trying to win. You know, if you're just by default going through the motions, you're going to lose every single time. You have to put in the effort and be willing to be called that crazy Christian. And I know a lot of people, no one wants to be that goofball. No one wants to be that weirdo. Oh, my gosh, here goes Jesus freak. We can't even make a joke around her. And next thing you know, you don't want them to say those comments about you. So now you start watering down what you believe. And you start, you know, the Bible says Psalms 1. I love the way Psalms 1 words it. And it's not the context of the verse, but it shows like a progression. In Psalms 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. And it shows like a progression of sin. You know, you're not walking them, because then you start standing with those group of people, and eventually you start sitting with them. You know, so sin is progressive. You know, it's like the moment you you see something, you know it's wrong, you condemn it, but then next thing you know, when you start allowing it around you, now you start tolerating it. And as you start tolerating it, now you start joining in on it. So in order to actually fight for purity, like the Bible says in Ephesians, you have to expose the works of darkness. Sin only has power when it is hidden or when you allow it to keep that dominion. But if you expose it, it has no control over you. You know, so when you're aiming to fight the the lust that may be around you in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your environment, or just what you see in the culture, the first thing you have to do is be willing to acknowledge that it's there. 
not say, oh, I can handle this. No, Jesus literally shows us in his word that, yeah, our spirit can be willing to do certain things, but the flesh will be weak. There are times when sexual sin is the only sin that the Bible is really telling us to run away from. Everything else, you, you simply resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But when it comes to sexual perversion, lust, fornication, adultery, we're being told to run away from it. Because no matter how strong you are, you can fall into that. Joseph ran. David, the man after God's own heart, he fell. Samson, the man with all these muscles, all this strength, he fell. Solomon, with all this wisdom, he fell into sexual sin. So we have to view view the fight for purity as not something we can be passive about. I think the number one thing is figure out your trigger. Because what, what Tavares stumbles over is not what you're going to stumble over. And a lot of times... We'll listen to Tavares and we'll say, wow, he's so right. I should cut off some secular music. But then there's someone listening to me who only listens to gospel. The only thing secular they know is Kirk Franklin. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they don't even know what secular even means, and yet they can stumble. And that's no shade to Kirk Franklin. I love Kirk Franklin. <laughs> but, I mean, they won't even realize that that wasn't their trigger. Their trigger is when they're on Instagram 11 at night. And the next person's trigger is when they're hanging out with that certain group that they know is a problem. The next person's trigger is, yeah, alcohol isn't a sin. Being drunk is a sin. Yeah, but you know when you take a sip what it can lead you to. So you have to be willing to pay attention to triggers. And if you're fighting for purity, you cannot play with the trigger because if you, you keep a little fire in your bosom, you're going to be burned is what the Bible says in Proverbs. So the number one thing is to pay attention to what do you see causing me to desire these things? If social media is causing me to desire something like this, then you need to unfollow. Um, I know a lot of people who have flat out canceled social media, either gone on a fast for a month or literally deleted apps. Whatever you have to do, you have to be willing to notice the triggers because the enemy, he's going to come in and find a new subtle way to creep in, but he's only going to have that authority or that dominion over you if you give him that, that ability because you have the strength. If the Holy Spirit is in you, God has given you the strength, the resurrection power to overcome that. But you have to be willing to be honest with yourself and reject those triggers. Yeah. Well, so first of all, in the nod to Kirk, I mean, we could maybe all use uh, Stomp as our anthem then in fighting uh, for purity. So that was a good uh, good reference there. In fact, I also want to give uh, a little shout out to our own PluggedIn.com because that's another great opportunity that many folks in our audience utilize to be. I mean, we have a whole team here at Focus, you guys, that is literally counting incidences of sexual content, of F-bombs, of whatever. They have done the work for you to walk through the entertainment that you might think is innocuous, but it's like, no, like exactly what Tavares is saying. There are subtle references, even attitudes for and against stuff that we need to be aware of because the devil sure is. And so we have to be yeah. careful. Um, I also like uh, what you're saying, Tavares, in the sense of as we remove things that we know will draw us away from God or will cause us to fall, we want to replace that with spending time in God's word and being, in fact, Correct. you say uh, in the book, I'm going to read it here. You say, we must immerse ourselves to truly know the God we serve. Reading the Bible is one thing, but studying and obeying it is another. And so, I mean, you guys, like I can just say this from experience. You know what is a great, like the person that's going to turn heads in the church and who's going to be dateable is the person who knows who God is and who God says they are. I mean, that is like very attractive yeah. okay not the person who's just going with every whim or falling at every right. you know sense of of what's going on i think uh, that makes such a difference and so um i really appreciate that 
All right. I do want you to speak to, because you actually bring up in the book, Tavares, a couple of myths about sex that you mention. Um, and let's go ahead and take these individually. The first one is that really we should just avoid sex altogether. So if you're single, never think about it, never desire marriage, don't care about it, act like, you know, you're a eunuch, um, just, uh, just uh, for, you know, never even uh, let, you know, the idea cross your mind and you're saying, uh, probably not helpful. Why is that? I says, I honestly don't believe it's realistic, you know, because there's a lot of people who pray God take away these desires. And it's like, I serve a God who answers crazy prayers. If God takes away your desires, do not ask him to give it back when you get married. That's just not how it works. And this is very crazy to say, and I hope I don't sound like some heretic, but I honestly believe God came as a man in human flesh, and he still had emotions, and he still had hormones, which means Jesus had a sex drive that he did not have to go into sin, and people are to say it's because he was God. No, it's not just because he was God, because he was still operating in the flesh. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, which means the struggles we face, the burdens we carry, all the issues we deal with, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus dealt with it, and yet it's without sin. So the issue is not, you know, I, don't, I don't need this desire. The issue is I need self-control. So we're praying the complete wrong prayer, you know, so it's not a matter of desiring or not desiring sex. To desire sex is a good thing. God has no problem with that. The problem is when our desire for sex is greater than our desire for God's principles, because God doesn't mind you desiring that. But when you're willing to ignore his principle, ignore his word in order to get something, then that means you've allowed your flesh to become an idol. Your flesh has now become the God that you're serving. Your hormones have become the God that you're serving. Some people say, you know, I want God to take away my desires. No, I don't think God wants to take those desires away. It's perfectly healthy. But God wants to teach you what it means to walk in purity. God still wants to teach you what it means to walk with self-restraint. Because I can tell you, when you get married, you know, people are still attractive. People are still going to be attracted to you. And the people are still going to be attracted to you that may even flirt with you. So you have to know what it means to discipline yourself or what it means to say, well, I see something that I like, but that does not mean I have to act on it. That's all discipline is. So we have to learn what it means to be disciplined. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, after all his preaching to others, he doesn't want himself to be a castaway. So we can do all this preaching, and then we can still lose ourselves in the process because God wants to give us self-control. We have to learn discipline within ourselves. Yeah. Well, that is so good. And I do want to bring up the second myth that you address, um, because it kind of goes to where you were going with that in the sense of, okay, but now we get married. And I think there are a lot of Christian singles out there who think, oh, good. Well, if I can white knuckle it to the finish line, then I'm going to have all this crazy sex and my whole life will be (laughs) changed. It's going to be amazing. And you actually list that second myth as saying sex by itself can sustain relationships. Uh, You're like, "Uh, no, it cannot. Oh, no, that that's just not possible at all. Um, you know, we actually did a, a marriage seminar at my church last year, and I thought it was amazing because, you know, they, they did all kind of studies, these therapists, and they came in, and then you had to do, a, um, you know, different surveys, you and your spouse separately. Then they're going to see all the results, and it calculates and show all these things. So you see a whole lot of people where the arguing is the top of the chart, the sex is at the bottom of the chart. There's a lot of people, <laughs> the sex is at one side, the communication is at another And I was looking at it like, well, I know there are a lot of areas where we still need to connect, but yet it doesn't show a reflection um, in the physical intimacy part, you know, because a lot of people feel as though if we're getting that, then that means we're good. But in reality, that doesn't mean you're good. Um, And not to, 
be weird or anything, but it's like we have to understand that women are wired differently. So for them, it's not even as exciting if there is an emotional, you know, connection that is that is occurring. For a guy, he probably doesn't even care. It's not, it doesn't bother me. I'm happy, you know. But for a woman, she's not fulfilled because there was an emotional connection that was going on. And what I mentioned in the book in regards to that, because I, I had a friend, you know, we're in the military, and he was dating someone, and we warned him against this, like, hey, bro, don't do it. But he was in love because, you know, in his mind, sex was putting him on cloud nine. Next thing you know, she leaves him, and he was literally in my room suicidal. We're on the sixth floor. I had to stop this guy from jumping over the building. Hmm. And it was extremely devastating. I'm like, bro, we're young. You're acting like your life is over, and you know, and I'm trying to, you know, be sympathetic. I'm not saying it, you know, casual or in a joking way with them, but it's the fact that a lot of people, when they lose out on these relationships where they were having sex, whether they enjoyed it or not, they start feeling like their life is over, and it's because they place sex on a pedestal. Sex has become the relationship. So what I challenge a lot of people, because we always get messages and um, people calling in like, hey, can you counsel us? Can you help us? Can you mentor us? And now I, I like to challenge people, remove sex from your relationship and tell me if it'll work. Mm-hmm. Tell me, I want you to reach back out to me and tell me how the relationship is going when you remove sex out of it, because majority of them do not know the person outside of physical intimacy. Majority of them have nothing in common outside of sex. So what we see is that sex is like a form of glue. It connects you spiritually, emotionally, mentally with the oxytocin. It is down to your hormones. God connected sex in a way that you're connecting to becoming one. That's the closest you're going to get to a person. And yet many people are doing it casually. So now when the relationship ends and they feel empty, and a lot of people are dealing with depression. A lot of, feel, a lot of people are dealing you know, with all types of anxiety and not knowing their identity. Why? It's because they've got themselves lost in the bedroom. Yeah. Because you thought this person loved you, because you thought this person cared, you decided, well, I'll give it up, you know, to make him love me, or I'll do this to get her to be happy. And we've done all of these exchanges, and in the end, we don't know who we are. And in the end, we're with someone who doesn't even love us, but they love the feeling they get from the bedroom. So I always tell people, sex is great, but sex will blind you to reality. Sex will cause you to think you're in a healthy relationship when in reality you aren't. You're just with someone who loves what you can do. Yeah. Well, as we finish here in our last minute or so, Tavares, I would love to, I mean, we, you and I have both said a lot of things here, um, and there might be someone who's thinking, okay, well, Tavares, you clearly sound perfect. You've done it all right. Um, ah, you know, if we had absolutely. Safa here, she would probably tell us differently, but <laughs> maybe you can tell on yourself. I know in the book, you even talk about your own struggles with lust. Oh, yeah. Can you give encouragement to the person maybe who has walked a sexually broken road, who struggles daily with temptation who is like, I don't even know if I can trust God with this, with my future. What is your encouragement to them? Well, first of all, I love to tell people that when godly dating was started, I was a single male dealing with lust, feeling unqualified, and wanted to quit this ministry at least 100 times per year for the last 10 years. And it's because I've never felt like, God, I've never been this perfect person. I'm giving people advice based off my failures. You know, I'm giving people advice based off things I've witnessed. You know, so I don't want you to feel as though there are people who are just more spiritual than you or people who have arrived more than you. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people who are more dedicated to God because sometimes we get lazy and sometimes we get complacent. But that shouldn't make us feel insecure. That should give us hope that if God can deliver them, God can take Tavares from his mess and use him to to reach hundreds, thousands, millions of people. Then God, you should know that God has a purpose and a plan for you. And when we see Samson in the Bible, 
so much potential, he probably would not have died the way he did. And could, God could have probably used him even more if he was, you know, a bit more disciplined. But we see that even in his death, God used his purpose. And a lot of times we look at our brokenness, we look at our failures, and we love to allow the enemy to speak to us. But I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is not here to bring condemnation. God convicts you because he's trying to challenge you to change. God wants you to understand that I love you too much to allow you to continue down the path you're going on. So I don't want you to feel as though you can't be used by God. I don't want you to feel as though you can't be loved. I don't want you to feel as though because you had those abortions or you had those children and now you're a single mom, you're a single dad, you got that STD and you don't want anyone to find out about. There's so much that the enemy will try to tell you that you are no good for God. But the Bible makes it very clear to me that God loves the people that everyone writes off. The people that are hiding, the people that are insecure, the people that are ashamed, the people that we've condemned, those are people God goes after first. So forget this this fairy tale Jesus that only loves everyone and he's a you know, he's just a hippie and no no no. There's a God who will find you in your mess, will love you out of your mess, and will use you to be a witness to the world. Hmm. Rahab was a woman that was in not not pornography, but was a harlot. I mean, in prostitution, and yet we find her in Matthew 1 alongside the lineage of Jesus. So if she can be in God's lineage, then understand that God can use you and God can give you a blessed future. Don't allow what you've done in the past to define who you are in the future. Jesus told a woman caught in adultery, even though they should have condemned the man as well. We're not going to get into that. But he told that woman, go and sin no more, and neither will he condemn her. So not only is God trying to tell you right now as you're listening, I'm not aiming to condemn you. But he's trying to tell you, I'm giving you the opportunity to live a new life, a brand new life in Christ. Hmm. Well, friends, we have been talking with Tavares Gray today. Uh, The book is titled Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World that Constantly Lies. And uh, just appreciate the the wisdom and the the realness check that you've given us. Um, Folks, we want to let you know that we want to make a copy of Tavares and Safa's book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So you just go to boundless.org. In fact, you can just uh, check it out at, you can search for 792. That's this week's episode. You'll see the book cover. Just click on it and you give a gift of any amount to Boundless, the work that we're already doing, and we'll send this book as a thank you to you. Um, So Tavares, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. No, thank you for having me on. Hear my cry, oh God. Listen to my prayers. From the ends of the earth I call to you. Hear my cry, oh God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, when my heart is i
Well, we are opening up our inbox, and this is Lisa with you answering this week's question. And our listener asks, we're told in Scripture to rejoice and be patient in suffering, but we're also told that singleness is as much a gift as marriage is. If I'm honest, it feels like my singleness is anything but a gift most days. It feels more like suffering. How do I reconcile it being a gift, even when it doesn't feel like it, and yet still rejoice like Scripture says? Well, such a great question and such a heartfelt one to ask and one that I could say, you know, man, if you're single, we've probably all been here, right? I mean, this is something where maybe depending on your season of life or just your circumstances, this ebbs and flows, and sometimes we're in a better place with it than at other times. Um, But just a couple thoughts here. And the first thing I'm going to say is going to sound so super like stark and probably kind of, um, I'm hoping it won't sound too callous, but hang with me because I want to get to a couple practical ideas after I say this. The first thing I'm going to say is that you have to determine in making this statement and deciding, you know, is singleness suffering? You know, scripture says that it's a good thing, um, but it feels like suffering. Ultimately, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to decide what you feel. You're going to have to decide and make the conscious effort that you are going to trust God with your singleness, okay? Because you know what scripture says is true. You know that God's heart is for you, but your feelings aren't lining up with that. And so you have to decide what is true and decide that God is sovereign and he has good things for you. And then you have to let your feelings follow. And we know that there's uh, many places in life where we have to make decisions based on truth and realize that maybe our feelings don't quite align with that. Um, That's why you're saying, you know, in your question itself, it feels more like suffering. That is probably very true. And it's certainly true of you now in writing this question. And so... But what you feel uh, does not mean that that's God's ultimate destination for you, um, nor does it mean that the gift of singleness or even a season of singleness is a bad thing or is less than than what um, some of your other friends may have now who might be dating or might be married. So that said, what do we do with all these feelings and where do we go with this? And I don't think that there is anything wrong as I've said many times on The Boundless Show, in desiring marriage and in saying that you desire marriage and telling people, okay? So the first person you got to be telling is God. And you need to be praying about your heart and about what God has for you and about your feelings around this and dumping it all on him because he encourages us in the Psalms to pour out our complaint to him and to go before him with our petitions, um, even to the point of groanings, as the Psalms remind us. And so um, pray and ask others to pray for you, for your heart, for your circumstances, for just the the position and the feelings that you have around where you are right now. Um, there is a lot of comfort in uh, in friends who are willing to stand with you in that. And then I would say the other thing that I feel has been really helpful for me personally is to um, make sure that I have joyful single friends in my life. Now, don't only have single friends. I mean, you want to diversify and pe- have people from all walks of life because sometimes the people who are dating and married are going to encourage you with their own stories and be like, hey, hang in there. You know, let me tell you what God did in my circumstances. But to have friends who are walking alongside you and who are joyful in where God has them 
is a great place to be. One, it makes you feel not so alone. And two, it makes you realize that you can walk this journey with confidence and with joy. And by investing in relationships, a lot of times we as singles are so waiting for marriage to happen and thinking that that's when real relationship starts, you know, because now you have this commitment, this person's going to be there for you. They're going to, in many ways, like meet all these needs. And, and sometimes they're great. And God provides that as a gift. And sometimes we're disappointed. And so whether we're married or single or dating or wherever we are, we have to invest in real relationships at every level. Because again, um, relationships with others are going to help us walk out our relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And so I want you to to know that it is okay to grieve kind of where you are and the feelings you have. And, and it is hard sometimes, you know, I think, think about the woman who, you know, maybe she is married, but she's struggling with infertility. She's having to trust God with that. Or a family who has a rebellious teen, they're having to trust God with that. We all have to trust God with something. And some of us have to trust God on multiple levels with multiple things. And so just know that you're not alone. We hear you. We feel it with you. We want to pray for you here at Boundless, and we pray that you will go after it with God himself and know that he will hold your heart in the midst of all of this um, as you uh, choose to uh, decide that he is for you and then uh, wait and see what he will do with your feelings around the matter. So hopefully that's an encouragement to you. And and, uh, again, it's not prescriptive, but hopefully it is something that will give you some hope moving forward. Well, folks, um, if you have not yet hopped over to Apple Podcasts and left a review for The Boundless Show, we would love it if you would do that. We actually read those reviews, you guys, um, and sometimes we even reshare them. Uh, sometimes we share them with our leadership here at Focus on the Family. And so if you'd be willing to hop over there and leave us a review uh, just about how much the show has meant to you, we would really appreciate it. And of course, it allows other people to maybe give the show a chance as well. So in the meantime, I will see you around next week it's lisa anderson with the boundless show the boundless show is a production of boundless.org focus on family it can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way god sees it so what's the solution well on june 15th focus on the family is hosting sea life 24 and no matter where you are or who you are you can be a part of this free event with speakers like ben and kirsten watson and real stories about choosing life sea life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action register today at sealife24.org